This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 107, Adventures in Financial Planning with Tim Austin, Part 2. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everyone, to our latest episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast. I am your host, Holly Bach, and with me here today is co-host Mark Willis. How's it going? Good to see you, Holly, and great to see everybody, so to speak, uh, with my ears anyway. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So thank you, everyone, for joining us again. Uh, For those of you that have been kind of following along and aren't just jumping in this week, you know that we're in uh, the middle of kind of a two-part episode series here where we're interviewing uh, gentleman Tim Austin. Um, so if you listened last week, you already know a little bit about his background, his story. Um, but for those that haven't, Tim Austin, um, he's a great guy and he is one of the co-founders and directors of mm-hmm. Bank on Yourself and this whole concept of everything that we talk about. And so um, just really, really honored and really really excited to be able to share him with you all. Um, he's been able to pour a lot of wisdom and knowledge into you know Mark, uh, you, and, and myself. And so um, we wanted to not just keep all that to ourselves, but share it with you guys as well. So I'm um, so excited to have Tim Austin now share um, a little bit more with you all um, from last week. Last week, he shared more stories and just kind of little tidbits of wisdom and financial knowledge, whereas um, this week, we're really going to jump into some numbers and some some mm-hmm. heavy stuff. But, um, but you I mean, plow through it, stick with us through it, because you guys might very well be floored at the end um, as to how things kind of panned out for him um, with his kind of strategy that he took with this bank on yourself approach. So um, thank you so much, Tim, for joining us again and sharing so much of yourself. All right, Tim, welcome back to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Mark. You're welcome. Yeah, we we were just uh, finishing up part one last week. We're ready now for part two. Uh, you left us with some interesting takeaway items regarding the 10-10-10 rule where you invite people to take the challenge of saving, literally save 30% of their income in various buckets, short-term, medium-term, and long-term. And for folks, some folks, that's an easy do. Uh, for others, it's it's a gargantuan task. So you gave us three quick takeaways, and I want to repeat those for our listeners. The takeaways were uh, one, step one, take an inventory of your life. Where's your money uh, going today? And what are the four categories you say? Uh, taxes, debt, lifestyle, and savings investing. Is that right? Cor- correct. Savings and investing. So the, the, the potential places to improve on um, that you can start shifting a few dollars is, is, again, taxes. Are you taking advantage of all opportunities and tax savings? Debt, what can you do to um, you know, control your cash flow on a monthly basis or consolidate or change the way in which you're, you're paying that debt, maybe interest rates, maybe lowering interest rates and shift that into savings. Um, and then, you know, lifestyle is obviously a big one. What can we do, you know, in our lifestyle? I've had, I've had families that have literally found 30% just in lifestyle alone um, that they that they've been able to cut out and and start to get serious about um, some 
you know, gaining some financial independence. And then investment needs to be taken a look at. Are, are you inappropriately putting too much money into, into risk assets that are, aren't really serving you well? You talk a lot about unnecessary risk, avoiding the unnecessary risks because of the um, risk of unnecessary losses. And so we'll come back to that in, this, in your story here in a moment. So step one was take inventory of your current allocations, where your monies are, monies are headed to. Step two was accept it, accept that you're at where you are and be willing to own your reality, own your truth, as some people might say. And then step three was making small baby steps uh, like that. Uh, what about Bob movie? You know, baby steps, baby steps. So making Absolutely. all improvements <laughs> to save more. Yeah. Is that a fair summary of your takeaways? It definitely is, uh, Mark. Um, that small improvement really is, uh, if you've ever heard of it, and I, I'm, I might screw up the pronunciation, but Kitesen, the Kitesen rule, uh, a 1% improvement each day equals a snowball improvement over a year. Um, so just a little bit of improvement each and every day can get you where you want to go. So speaking of, it was a, a long time ago that you started saving into whole life insurance policies. And you probably looked weird to a lot of your peers who may have been chasing the 1990s bull market maybe or, or whatnot. Can you tell us the story you shared with me about how you ended up using your whole life boring, old-fashioned, you know, relegated to the desk bin kind of whole life insurance policies uh, and for some pretty dynamic financial investments uh, and for some pretty tremendous gains. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. So what, one of the things I think I left you with, um, with the cliffhanger is uh, when you asked me that, is that um, I, I said that saving in your uh, permanent whole life insurance contracts does not mean sacrificing return. And I think what a lot of financial advisors do and people do is they make the mistake of looking at a, at, at a whole life policy and saying, well, okay, as a saving asset, it takes some time to, to, uh, to develop. It takes some time to start to produce a return. And then even over 20 years, that return, uh, you know, maybe it's going to be 5% internal rate of return after all expenses. And of course, currently, um, you know, it's, it's non-taxable and you have this income tax-free death benefit. As an asset class, it's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, but a lot of people say, well, gosh, I, I just, I, I really want to earn 10%, 12%, 20% a year. And and uh, I'm going to have to take risk in order to do that. Well, I think they forget what that mean, that word risk means. It means you have a high potential of losing. And that's exactly what has proven itself out over the last 40 years. Some people do okay. Some people end up just fine in retirement. But there is millions of people that have been hurt, that have been financially devastated by the philosophy of this, um, you know, put it in the market and just hold on to it. It'll do fine. It's, you know, in the long term, it's going to do fine. Mark, if I look back in history, and if I look at the way that our markets work, all markets, um, 
you know, whatever market you want to pick, you know, you want to pick options, you want to pick commodities, you want to pick, uh, um, I actually, interesting enough, I got a text this morning uh, about somebody that I haven't heard from in probably, gosh, eight years. Um, hey, what do you think about Bitcoin? And should I get, should I get into Bitcoin right now? Um, you know, and, and so they're always looking for, you know, this, this, this magic bullet. Um, so one thing I know about our markets is we're going to have booms and we're going to have busts. We're in a very long-term boom right now. However, there's been a lot of little busts all along the way. Uh, you know, pick, pick a market and, and, and there's, there's been a downside. There's been a bust. So, you know, when you follow a certain market, when you educate yourself on a certain niche or a certain place to invest money, you can do it in a safe way by understanding when it is actually at its low. If, if I was to ask you, and I know you're out in the Chicago area, I'm, I'm over here uh, in the Detroit area, um, in 2005, uh, you know, we pretty much uh, were on the forefront of the real estate crisis. And homes are being foreclosed, people are losing jobs. Um, just, you know, no one really knows what's going on. But the one thing that we did know is homes are really, really cheap. You know, this is, is, is this an up market or a down market? Anybody you asked, it was pretty easy that we're in a down market. You could probably ask anybody of the age of eight years old or above, is the real estate market in an up or a down market? Is the market in an up or a down market just overall? How about the S&P 500? How about, um, again, just pick, pick any equity-based situation and it's going to be, we're in a down market. When are we supposed to be buying in a down market? Buy low, sell high. But why does history show? Why does all of the research show that that's not what we do? That's not what people do. It's just we, we, we are constantly buying high and selling low when we get fearful that it's gonna, the bottom's going to fall out. Um, the other thing that, I, that just amazes me, turn on the news today. And just find, a, find the news or, or a financial broadcast and just look at how ecstatic the, they might be when they say the, the market has reached a new high. Mark, do you know that my net worth has reached a new high every single day for the last 30 years? <laughs> I mean, why are we celebrating this? Why are we celebrating that the market is now broken even after 12 years? Right. It, 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 you know, well, so, I was, I was um, reading a, I was reading a study that, um, you know, the typical household nearing retirement has an average of just about $135,000 combined in their retirement accounts, according to the Federal Reserve Study of Consumer Finances. That's at the end of a 10 year bull run. 135 grand is going to basically provide what? A couple hundred bucks a month in their retirement. Yeah. I mean, that's at the end of the bull market. Uh, and we're all cheering that the market's, reach new highs. It happened again today as of this recording. Yeah. Uh, so, 
what good does that do us, right? Um, we're so so that's where you found yourself in what was it, two thousand five? Yeah, so two thousand and five, the banks were shutting down. Um, people were being foreclosed on. Uh, you couldn't borrow money. You couldn't get money. Um, so my brother happened to be in the real estate business and he, uh, um, had, uh, investors that when they tried to borrow from the bank, they could only, you could only get four homes up to four homes. After that, you could not borrow any more money. And that included your main residence. So really you're only getting three homes. If you wanted to try to purchase loans by getting or purchase homes by by getting a loan, um, so I just happened to be in a position with w- one of my policies that at the time, um, you know, I I had the availability, I had the money available that I could loan that po- that money out of my policies loan it to a new company that my brother and I started 50-50. And I will tell you that my share of time invested in this company was to write the check and to once a year review the financials. So that's, I don't know, maybe two hours involved. And, And if you want to include the two hours that my brother and I would go to lunch and not talk about business, but still write it off, I I don't know. Um, so four <laughs> hours a year cut, was your You can cut that out if you're sending this to the IRS. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's four hours uh, that, that we discussed business. Um, but I had the opportunity to, to buy those homes at sheriff's sales, rent those, clean them up, rent those homes out, and have the company pay me back at a 10% interest. So... Wow. Let's walk through that again. I had the money. I had the money safe. I knew I was in a a very low real estate market, so I'm buying low, which by the way, it didn't bottom out in 2005. 2005, it didn't bottom out until 2008. So the homes that I purchased from 2005 that I thought I was getting for 50% off, the homes I got in 2008, I got for 80% off compared to that 50%. Wow. So I actually got into the market too soon. I got into the, that business too soon. But we purchased homes and sold homes and flipped homes um, until 2011 to where we established 21 homes as a core base of rental properties. And then my brother took that income and um, we paid all of my loans back so all of my money plus 10%, so I earned 10% of my money back into my policies. Again, my policies, as you know, continued to earn dividends, continued to grow as if the money was never gone, right? I didn't mm-hmm. lose any of my compounded um, gains within my policy. Plus, I was able to get that 10% back into the policies. Um, and then I'm sitting there with a 50% ownership in, a, in, in, let's call it a real estate property management company with 21 uh, properties, which my brother then took, uh, we took, some, took that income, we purchased buy-sell policies. So if something happened to my brother, I didn't want anything to do with these properties because I never wanted to be the manager of them. So I would have sold them if anything had happened to my brother. But at the same token, we had a buy-sell policy, so we took out whole life policies. 
we put those, that income all went back into policies. So now here we are, we're in 2019. And as of January 1, 2019, I have sold out of my business. It is not, I've sold my shares to my brother. I am now out of that business. So from 2005 to 2019, um, I took advantage of that opportunity. And those dollars I was able to take from the original dollars that I put into my life policies, I had $224,000 of, of, that I put into those policies. But my cash value in those policies are $279,000. That's where most financial planners stop. Right. They look at that and they say, oh my goodness, that's, that's not a great return. Now, not to mention I had an $822,000 death benefit along the way that if something happened to me that my family would have been able to um, have that opportunity to uh, utilize that death benefit to replace my income. But what did I end up with? I ended up with $1,140,000 that I sold out of my real estate, my share of the real estate company uh, this at the beginning of this year. So I have all of my cash value back in my policies. I got 1140000 that I sold out for my, my 50%, but it doesn't stop there. Remember that buy-sell policy? That's now my policy. I get to keep that. So I have an additional $222,755 that is in that policy. So Mark, the total value of, the, of all of that is 1.6, a little bit over 1.6 million um, just by taking advantage of an opportunity. And this is just one thing that I've done. Um, I've loaned money out to people that I... I, I I knew were were sure bets. I don't I don't loan money to non uh, sure bets. It's ten percent. I get ten percent when I lo loan that money out to those those people because they can't get the money anywhere else. Um, I I've, I I'm a fan of Ford stock. Um, I I just happen to uh, have a, a, a youthful interest in, in the Ford Motor Company being in Detroit here, and I've followed them for a long, long time. I know when they're low, and guess what? When they're at $6.50, that was low. Uh, I took a nice advantage of that. I made a great return on that, put all the money back into my policies, plus I had a gain. So I, I guess the moral of this is that uh, when I work with my clients, you know, by having a philosophy of living within your means, a dollar saved is a dollar earned, and using a permanent whole life insurance contract as a core of your overall financial uh, strategy, it's it's not an and or. You 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 know you don't have to give up rate of return. I'll put the rate of return of my so-called life policies up against anybody's plan. Um, you know, when you add up what I've been able to do because I, my money's not locked up, it's not sitting in a 401k that I can't get to and, and take advantage very easily. I don't have any fear or sleepless nights of whether or not my assets are going to go up 
tomorrow or not, I know they're going to go up tomorrow. Um, and that's just a great, great feeling. Tim, you, you've uh, blown all of our minds, I think. And with, uh, with your story, it just proves a underlying point that the whole life policy is only a part of your overall financial picture. Uh, you've decided to use the policy as a financial management tool. And it's given you the opportunity to take advantage of investments. I bet it's also helped you with buying your cars and helping your kids through school. In fact, you've told me otherwise that it has. Uh, you've used these policies like like the grandmas and grandpas that you got to meet with back in the 80s and 90s. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so you're acting uh, out of that knowledge from generations past. What have we forgotten? You know, as you kind of look back, look back on where our country was and where the average American saved in whole life insurance primarily uh, and other insurance contracts. It's not just the product, is it? It's the mindset that went along with it. So what's changed in our mindset? Why did we go from a nation of savers to a nation of speculators? You know, why did we decide we couldn't save as much anymore, so we had to put it all on the line and risk more and hope and pray that our rate of return would be high in the stock market? Why are, there ch- why are those changes happening? And more importantly, what can we do today? What are some takeaways that our listeners can have as a result of, of uh, some of what you've shared with us today? Yeah, Mark, um, all of my research uh, has shown that the shift really happened you know, in, the, in the 60s, in the late 60s, where speculation started to take hold a little bit in, in our culture. And people started to think about, um, and, and at the time, it was marketed as what the rich people, you know, do. Um, you too can invest in in the market. Um, you had Keo plans coming out. Um, you you started to see a shift of, um, you know, the pensions coming down a little bit. And, you know, not as many companies. And then, of course, now here we are. Uh, uh, you know, many decades later, um, where it's just full blown that. Um, you have to invest in the market. The, the average middle-income person investing in the market. Um, the the interesting thing, Mark, is that the rich people weren't really doing it. They were doing it with their excess dollars, but they even the rich people had these types of contracts. They had whole life contracts. They had fixed annuities. Um, they weren't all invested in the market. Um, they just didn't do that. And even to today, you don't have wealthy people that are just all in the market. And they certainly don't have their money locked up in jail in a 401k plan. I'm not saying don't do your 401k, but I, I am saying uh, have a realistic expectation of what you're getting yourself into. And have you shored up and taken advantage of your own financial security by having liquid assets and having a liquid philosophy. So, you know, I think Mark, um, that shift back in the, in the eighties to where, where you can have speculation that the market's going to do 12% every year, just put it in there. It'll be okay. It's proven wrong. It's proven to not work for a great majority of people. And so I want to just take you back again to, um, this idea that our home is our best asset. It's not. If, 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 if you're on your fourth home and you're in your 40s, um, 
you know, what'd you do with the equity from the last three? Um, is, is the home paid off? Um, you know, my dad's home and most of his generation, you know, they had their home paid off by their early fifties and late forties. So where, where are you at? Um, this idea that we need to keep living in bigger homes, the average square footage of a home back then was, I, 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 I might screw this up, but it basically is double today. It's like, it was like 1200 square feet back then. And now we're at 2,400 square feet um, in, in something that we're not accessing. That's only going to be a liability to us for the rest of our lives. Um, we're, the cars are insane. Technology is insane. I don't know about you, Mark. I know I'm a little bit older than you, but I grew up with one phone on the wall with a 25-foot cord to it that we would take in the bathroom if we wanted to have privacy. A charging uh, cord? Are you talking about a charging cord, 25 feet? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We didn't. Just we, kidding. We, we we certainly didn't know what a charger a charger was back then. <laughs> um, so the world has really uh, found ways to suck money out of us. And, and tap into our wallets um, really, really good. And we have to figure out how to fight that. We have to figure out, I'm not saying don't live a good life. I'm not saying, um, you know, don't treat yourself every now and then. We, we all need to do that. But have some rules, have some, um, some defenses against what the world is, is, is doing. And you know, I, I've heard recently, I read a great article on financial advisors and gurus. There's, you know, um, basically saying, stop buying the Starbucks coffee, you know, four times a week, go down to two. I, I think that's, that's actually um, not the root cause of the problem, Mark. The, the root cause is you can afford the coffee if you stopped at home number three. Yeah, if you stopped right. at, at the, the Ford rather than the, the Mercedes, mm-hmm. um, you know, take a look at where your big dollars are going, not necessarily your small dollars. Tim, so you, you bring up some great points. Uh, don't buy four houses. Go ahead for the latte if you really want one. Uh, are there any other action items that you can <laughs> uh, leave our listeners today? This has been tremendous. By the way, I, I, I also want to quickly mention, uh, Tim, I ran the numbers it looks like your investment returns yearly over that period of time for the story you shared was 16.5% per year, every year. Does that sound about right from your math? That sounds about right. That sounds about right. That's for boring old whole life insurance and a partnership with your brother. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And that's just one That's just one thing that I've done over, over the years again. Um, you know, uh, Mark, as far as just one action item, I think that the last time, um, you know, we, we, we kind of left people with taking that inventory and, and understanding where you're at and, and making small in- incremental uh, progress. You know, the other part of this is, is there's not anything in my life that I do alone. Um, I, 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 I'm mature enough at this point, and, and, and trust me, my children would probably tell you I'm not that mature, um, but you know, I have a trainer for a reason. My trainer has been on maternity leave twice in the last 11 years, and I've only fell, fell off my routine twice in the last 11 years. And, you know, it, I, it's just, 
it's mm-hmm. so much easier when I have somebody holding me accountable to what I actually want to accomplish in my life. Um, so I do pay for a trainer that, you know, four times a week because the return on that investment is huge. I wouldn't be healthy. I, I, I wouldn't be focused on eating right. I, um, it, you know, it just allows me to, to, to be a more productive father, husband, employer, um, and, and advisor. Um, it just, you know, don't go this alone. Don't go this alone. Um, you know, it, it, find somebody that has these, uh, whether it be a financial advisor, whether it be a, uh, uh, an authorized bank on your self-advisor, um, you know, a, a partner, a family member, maybe somebody wants to do, you can do this together where, where you're going to hold each other accountable to, you know, looking at your inventory and, um, and accomplishing some goals together. So I would say, don't go it alone. Find, find the person that can help you, help you accomplish the financial milestones that you want to accomplish in your life. Tim, this has been phenomenal. Thank you for your time today. And uh, we, uh, on behalf of our listeners, I appreciate your time and all your wisdom you've shared with us today. Absolutely, Mark. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome, awesome, awesome. <laughs> Again, to see, I was saying it at the very beginning with our first episode, and I hope you guys now realize that you've, um, now that you've heard him for two episodes, just how how great of an opportunity it is to be able to hear from Tim and um, hear his stories and and his personal experiences with uh, kind of this bank on yourself concept. So thank Mm -hmm. you so much, Tim. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah. If Um, if you think about like, uh, if if you ever wonder where financial planners get creative financial strategies uh, and this Tim Austin guy, he's, he teaches financial planners, mm -hmm. uh, literally thousands of people who are uh, financial planners in the world today who are then working with tens of thousands of clients around the country. Tim Austin's the guy where they're talking they're, to and yeah, working with. Yeah, who they're learning from. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Mark, what was uh, maybe something that stood out to you from this last episode uh, with Tim? You know, the, the quote he brings up uh, where he says, you know, we, we really became an, a nation of speculators. Uh, we used to be a nation of savers. Now we're a nation of speculators. And I don't think it was because we just decided to one day. We didn't just wake up one day. We, we were sort of forced into that mindset to take on more risk, to take on more speculation, um, in part because corporations were getting rid of the pension Mm-hmm. and saving, cost savings. You know, just spoke with a gentleman earlier who talked to me about how he remembered when his company dropped the pension and brought on the 401k as a cost-saving measure. Well, who is that, who's, that, uh, who's losing in that transaction, <laughs> right? Yeah. If they're literally bringing the 401k on to save money, well, that should tell us something about yeah. the value of what the employee is getting, okay? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we all have corporations and banks that have literally become black belt ninjas at extracting money from our wallets, and because of the debt that we're all in, we have to go into higher rates of return to try to keep up with what we're not saving in terms of a volume of our income. So that was a big wake-up call for me. We've mentioned it in other episodes, but mm-hmm. he brings it to bear. Looking at tens of thousands of Americans ar- around the country, he's literally worked with uh, in an individualized basis. So that's that's a f- that was a phenomenal wake-up call for me. What about yourself? Yeah, no, it, I mean, kind of along that same line um, in in what he was sharing about just the whole idea of how we're 
as a nation, you know, we're starting to, or we're not starting to, we have been, and we're trying to use rate of return to make up for our right. lack of savings. Yeah. And um, because we've seen it, we've shared the charts with you guys before in, in um, much older episodes, but just like, you know, what those savings rates were mm-hmm. even just 50 years ago versus what they are today. And um, it's just, it's just incredible. And it, and it, I think it's interesting that when people are kind of setting up their budget, right, um, if they even have one, <laughs> mm-hmm. of how much they're going to save for retirement, they're factoring in the rate of return. Yeah. And so it's like that rate of return is kind of deceptive in that it's showing them, oh, you only have to save a lower amount to equal this goal versus, okay, this is the true amount you'd need to save if right. you were just straight saving it and let's just say like a savings account in order to reach that same that same number. And so what it's allowed people to do is not save as much and go spend it instead. Mm-hmm. And so I would say Americans today are enjoying far more, you know, luxurious lifestyles than ever in the past. And it's because we have this misconception that if we save this lower amount than maybe perhaps what our grandparents would have saved, that we're still going to have the same amount to retire on. And that's just not happening. (laughs) I mean, that's why we're in the middle of a retirement crisis. Mm -hmm. And it's probably only going to get worse. And so, um, yeah, just that whole idea. And I I, I think Tim shared this specific kind of quote with, or not quote, but just this concept where people are kind of processing, like, I can't save as much. So I'm going to risk more of my money Mm -hmm. and let my rate of return make up for that lack of savings. So that's kind of like what he he shared and, and kind of my processing of that same statement. So, a lot of lot of um, just valuable information here and what, mm. what Tim had to share. Anything else? Well, yeah, I'd, I'd just quickly bring up the fact that, you know, it's all one wallet. You know, we bring up uh, whole life insurance and I think a lot of clients uh, are leaving one advisor for another advisor or chasing rate of return. Well, this advisor over here said he could get me 5% or 8% or 9% or 10%, but it isn't just about the, the mutual fund that this guy or this gal is offering you. It has to do with the entire financial picture. It, you know, your rate of return is all in, encompassing the full picture of your financial life. So it's all one wallet. It's all one rate of return. And what I thought was so phenomenal about his story is, you know, the the modest rate of return of the whole life policy wasn't the whole picture for Tim. It was also the the choices that he was able to take advantage of because he was so liquid in his policy to jump into some real estate opportunities with his brother. And then fetch, as, as we found out, 16% per year over a decade during the middle of a Great Recession. That's That should be counted. It's not going to be seen on the tabular detail of an illustration, but mm-hmm. it should be counted as a part of the overall. You can't, you can't find the rate of return of that opportunity until you're actually in the midst of that opportunity. You know, you can't project what you might use your policy's cash value for as you're just looking at the internal rate of return of the policy. So I guess maybe a, a takeaway here is learning to see past the numbers on the page is a helpful takeaway here for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was pleased to get to talk with Tim. He's a great guy, a great mentor and a friend for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, perfect. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up here for for this episode. So just want to say thank you for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. 
This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.